Well, good morning. Y'all awake? I know it's kind of hard to like, get out of the house this week, right? I mean, it's like, have you felt like you've been stuck in, maybe from Snowpocalypse 2022, or, you know, maybe you got COVID, who knows? That's like the trend these days. Um, uh, not to make light of it, but it's just crazy, uh, but I'm so thankful to be here. I hate that we missed meeting together last Sunday, uh, but hopefully you had a chance. We live streamed our message last week. We actually pre-recorded knowing that the weather was going to be bad, and so go online. And as we've been walking through this series um, on the life of Jesus, it was really cool. We had an opportunity. All of our uh, teaching pastors and campus pastors gathered together, and we just kind of walked through uh, and talked and kind of had a dialogue, panel, a panel discussion. And so go online, check that out. Um, if you're a Christian, you'll do that. And uh, that's a joke. But man, we're just so glad that you're here. We've been on this journey. If you're new to our church, um, we've been walking through the, uh, the life of Jesus. And we think it's really important because so often our, our culture is defining Jesus and all these different things, really a Jesus that's not in the Bible. And so we're walking through the gospel of Luke, this gospel writer, who was um, a, a doctor by trade, and he heard all these amazing things about Jesus. And so he went and collected, really, eyewitness testimony, if you will, from all of these different people and wrote the Gospel of Luke and put them in order. And so uh, coming off of Christmas and the birth of Jesus, we start at the very beginning looking at Jesus's, the one event that's in Scripture when Jesus is 12, he's in the temple. So we started with that. Uh, we looked at Jesus's baptism. And then last week, even though we didn't meet, you can find it on the live stream on the YouTube channel. We talked about uh, where Jesus was sent out into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. And, and so this morning we look um, in Luke chapter 5. So you can turn there if you have your, your Bibles. But what I love and, and what we see here is that the gospel writer Luke really kind of makes a shift here. And he goes from kind of these things that Jesus is doing, like baptism and being, uh, being tempted in the wilderness, to this, this moment where he's really starting his ministry. So what we see is Jesus is starting to call people to follow him, to really challenge their life to step out of just ordinary and step into extraordinary. Or if some people say extraordinary, okay? So which one is it, right? So he, he calls them to say, hey, follow me in this. And great things we see throughout uh, the Gospels, great things begin happening to people who are following him. Not that it's easy, but God, um, through Jesus, is doing these amazing things as the Savior of the world. And I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but I can often find myself saying, okay, I want God to do amazing things. But it almost feels like at times that those times were like back in Jesus's day. Or like maybe if you look at the book of Acts, that when the church was growing and starting, that that was like this unstoppable movement of God where Peter's proclaiming uh, Jesus like kind of cutthroat and 3,000 people are coming to know Jesus or they're going around town and the disciples are healing people. And then you have like people like Stephen who like cheerfully are being killed for the name of, of Christ as a martyr. And you see those things and you think, man, that was like the church was unstoppable then. We're just not there anymore. But if you look at historians and scholars, they will tell you that it didn't feel like an unstoppable movement then. It, it didn't feel like God was doing all these amazing things. They, they kind of saw glimpses of it. But by the best estimate, historians believe at the, at the end of the first century, so let's say, say like the year 100, that there was roughly 7,500 believers. So think about that. 
Like in the entire world, there's only a little, uh, like 7,500 believers uh, 100 years um, after Jesus. But then what we see is even 100 years after that, so around the year 200, um, there's this famous, uh, really early church father named um, Origen, which is kind of an interesting name, right? Um, but he's a theologian, and he is actually quoted in saying, talking about Christians, that while they are geographically broad, they're numerically insignificant. That's what he's quoted in saying, geographically broad, but numerically insignificant. So that's around the year 200. Well, then what we see is actually in the year three, uh, 312, right, that, man, Christianity and followers of Christ have just exploded, so much so that the, the em, uh, emperor of the Roman Empire, Constantine, for political reasons, converts to Christianity, and half of the Roman Empire converts to Christianity. And so uh, you see this, and like, what exactly happened in those hundred years that all of a sudden just Christianity and followers of Christ just really kind of boomed? And this is really what historians think. They believe that the reason that Christianity spread and exploded the way it did is because, of, get this, the followers of Jesus actually believed the commands of Jesus. They actually said, you know what? What Jesus said in the Great Commission, as we know, as we see in Matthew, before Jesus ascended into heaven, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— they actually took those words to heart. And so you can see commentary after commentary, scholars and historians say, the reason the church exploded is because you had a group of people who were so ingrained and had the DNA of the Great Commission that they were willing to do whatever it took. They actually cared about their neighbor's salvation. They actually wanted to see people's lives radically changed. And so the, the church just exploded uh, in that manner. And because they wanted to be followers of Christ. And what we're going to see this morning in Luke chapter 5 is a very simplistic, uh, really, definition that we can pull from to see what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, how exactly do we do that? How do we become one of those people? And to be honest, we, we had a great, as a church, man, we had a great 2021. And specifically at Five Forks, just a couple things for us to celebrate. We doubled in this past year, we doubled our participation in small groups. I'm praying that we double it again in 2022. And so you'll have an opportunity, as Brandon said, to sign up for that next week. Join a group. Man, you need to be in biblical community with other people. Don't just say, I'm just going to show up for an hour. That's all I have. Man, join a group. Your life will be changed because of that. So do that. Uh, this past year, we had 14 baptisms as a campus. Um, anybody want to celebrate that? Anybody? Okay, yeah. Okay, good. 14, and if that's not worth celebrating, just so you know, that's one more than Harrison Bridge, and I'm just throwing that out there, okay? Uh, I remind Dallas at all the time that God's working here and not there. Just kidding. Uh, we're one church. God's working at all of our campuses, um, but it's just awesome to see the life change take place. And here's my challenge to you. Man, be so ingrained with the Great Commission, and let 2022 be, I really do believe this, and I'm not just saying this because I'm the pastor of this place, is that God wants to use us to do amazing things. 
And I think, man, just seeing what God has done in this past year, we are right on the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do for this year. And it takes every single one of us, not just the preacher man up here preaching. It takes every single one of us to be involved in the Great Commission to see followers um, just really explode in this community and lives changed. So here's like what I'm praying for. I'm praying in 2022, we see 25 baptisms. Now, now, we could, God could totally do an awesome work and we see more than that, see less than that. that if we see less, it doesn't mean God's not good. I'm just praying specifically with great boldness. We want to see 25 people come to know Jesus and, and walk through baptism um, this year. Double the participation in small group in that. Also have this number, just because it's an easy number, to see 25 people from this campus go on a mission trip this year. There's going to be opportunities, Lord willing, with COVID. Um, there's some trips lined up for you nationally, like in, in country and also foreign mission trips for you to participate in that. So there's all these opportunities for, for you to do that. And here's why I say all that, because what we're going to see this morning is that followers of Jesus are always active in the mission of Jesus. They're not stagnant. Jesus doesn't say, hey, be a follower of me and just sit on the sidelines and do nothing. That's not how Jesus works. He calls us to actively participate in the mission that he is, is living and breathing and intends for us to, to live and breathe as well. So let's, let's look. We're going to look together at this incredible moment um, where Jesus, he started his ministry and calls people to this change. It's going to be in Luke chapter 5 as we're walking through Luke, right? Just on the heels of Jesus' um, temptation in being tempted in the wilderness. Luke chapter 5, verse 1, it'll be on the screens if you don't have a Bible. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Right? It's also the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting, um, well, let me, let me start off. Uh, well, I'll read. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and began to teach the people from the boat. Now, there's two reasons that Jesus is doing this. So after Jesus' time in the wilderness, he started his ministry. He began to preach in the synagogue. So really bold message. He also begins to heal people. And so word has gotten out, and the crowds are gathered with him on this shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, and it's pretty crowded. And so Jesus sees these two boats from the fishermen who called it a day, gets into one of the boats and says, hey, can you just push me off ashore a little bit? And kind of backs up, one, to give some distance between him and the crowd. I mean, there are probably some crazies that wanted selfies or something. I don't know. But he needed some space from the crowd. So also, think about this. Scholars believe that he's on the water, so the water naturally acts as an amplifier to the message that he's about to teach. I don't know if you've ever been on the lake and, like, yelled to someone on shore. It's amazing how, like, your words can travel across the, the water. So he's there, and he's preaching. He sits down in the boat and begins to teach. Verse 4, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, he's speaking to Simon, who's also known as Peter. Jesus changes his name to Peter. And here's what's interesting. Like, think about this practically. Peter is a fisherman, and traditionally, they would have been fishing at night. 
So this story takes place early in the morning. He, Peter has called it a day. Him and his fishing partners, they have called it a day. The boats are on shore, and Scripture says they are washing their nets. They are done. And now Jesus preaches, and he says, Hey, Simon, I want you to get back in the boat. I want you to go to the deep and throw your nets out. Now, if I'm Peter, which obviously I'm not, but if I was Peter, I would say, Okay, dude, listen, the fish aren't biting. <laughs> We've been out there all night. We didn't catch anything. And so I don't know what you want us to do. I've called it a day. The nets are clean. I don't want to get back into the boat. So listen here, preacher man. You do the preaching, and I'll do the fishing. I'm a fisherman. I don't know who you are. I think you're a carpenter. If I have a wobbly chair, you fix it. But let me do the fishing, and and we'll go from there. And it's so interesting Because what we see in Peter's response we're going to talk about is so interesting. And we see this, it picks up. This is how Peter responds. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Like in South Carolina, the fish ain't biting, partner. Okay, that's what we say, all right? We took nothing. But at your word, let that sink in. Peter's like, we've been there all night. We haven't caught one fish. But at your word. At your word, Jesus, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. This is an incredible miracle. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help. And they came and they filled both boats. Think about this. And so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus pretty much says, hey, those nets that you've been throwing out over and over and over and you catch some fish here and there and they pay a few bills, they're worth a few dollars. I mean, you follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Something way more important than just those things. And then verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So here's three things I want to show you this morning. When it comes to following Jesus, these three things need to take place. First, we need to recognize who Jesus is. We need to recognize who Jesus is. I mean, to follow Jesus, you need to know who Jesus is, right? And so we see it's really interesting in this moment. There's no um, background or any other text in the Gospels that Peter has met Jesus before. So I'm going to assume that, you know, Peter has probably heard, he probably knows Some stuff has heard, word travels fast. And in this moment, when Jesus says, hey, Simon, get into your boat, go to the deep and put out your nets again. When Peter responds, he first calls him master. Isn't that interesting? He calls him master. And then later, after Jesus performs the miracle and they catch all this fish, all these fish, and they put them in two boats, it says that Peter does what? He falls at Jesus's knees and says, woe is me, you know, apart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. So he recognizes Jesus as master and as Lord. 
So think about that. Not only is he saying, hey, you're master, but you're also Lord of my life. Kind of the same thing. Hey, you, you control everything in this moment. But you know what's so interesting? I've learned this in the Christian life. When we recognize who Jesus is, at the same time, we recognize who we are. We recognize who we are and who we're not. That the more that we see Jesus and his sovereignty and his grace and his mercy on our lives, the more we're like Peter, like, I am a sinner. I don't deserve you. It's like this weird, like, love and also um, kind of fear. Think about this. This is the way I think about, about it. Maybe this is a horrible analogy, and it usually probably is. <laughs> but the way I think about it is when me and my wife Sloan started dating, and however long, several months into it, I'm like, this is the woman I'm going to marry. Guys, you, you could probably relate if you're married. You know what I'm talking about with this. There was one side of me that was so in love with Sloan. I was so attracted and wanted to spend every minute with her. And I'm like, we're going to do life together. And I was nervous and all those things that there was this attraction side. But at the same time, I had these emotions of uh, being afraid, essentially saying, you know what? I don't want to lose a good thing. Guys, you know what I'm saying? I need to kind of not mess this up. I need to kind of straighten my life out a little bit if, I gotta, if I'm going to be a good husband. And I feel like that's kind of the emotion that Peter's feeling here. He's like, whoa, this is Jesus, your master and Lord. But I also recognize who I am, that I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You need to depart from me. But he recognizes this. And the truth is, is that until God is big to you, think about this, until God is big to you, you'll never have the courage to obey him. Until you see God for who he is, you'll never have the courage and the bravery and the obedience to say, you know what, I need to step and I need to follow him. What oftentimes happens is we see God as small and insignificant and maybe even unreal. And so we, we don't obey. We don't seek God. We don't really even follow God. We go to church and it's good. And we believe in Jesus. We believe that he has some good teachings in the Bible. And that's all good. And it kind of helps my life to pray and to kind of talk. But until we see God as this huge God, that we don't deserve his mercy and we start to recognize who we are and who we're not, man, we'll never have the courage to really follow and obey and to step out in faith until we say, this is who God is in this. Now think about this. I love this. Later on in the Gospels, John uh, 21 shares this. So think about this. This is Peter's life kind of in a nutshell. Peter goes from this moment following Jesus. And we see he struggles with pride all throughout the New Testament. Peter at one point is at this place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked the disciples, hey, who are people saying that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some say you're Elijah. And he turns to Peter and says, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, and listen, you're the son of the living God. Man, monumental moment here. We see that as Peter. We see a moment with Peter. The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee. The storm rolls in. Jesus comes walking on the water. They're all afraid. They're like, it's a ghost, you know. And Peter's like, if that's you, Jesus, he's like, it's me. Come to me. And Peter has enough faith to get out of the boat, and he actually walks on the water. Incredible faith. Now he fails, begins to sink, and Jesus has to save them, and they get back into the boat because you have those moments. But then what you see is the same Peter that had these bold moments of faith, that when it came time and the, the rubber really hit the road, Jesus is arrested in the garden, 
And even the night, that night tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, not me, I love you. Man, Peter denies Jesus three times. And Jesus ends up being crucified on the cross. Three days later, is resurrected. We see in Scripture that Jesus appears to more than 500 eyewitnesses. And we see in John 21, he comes back and he visits Peter and some of these disciples. And what are they doing early in the morning? They're fishing. It's almost as if Peter was so, they were afraid. We saw that they locked themselves after Jesus' crucifixion. And it was like, I don't know what to do with my life now. I've been following him for three years. What do we do now? Let's just go back to what we've always done and go fishing. And he's fishing. And all of a sudden, this guy from shore shows up. It's Jesus. They don't know it at first. And he's like, hey, guys, you catching anything? (laughs) They're like, nope. Been fishing all night. Haven't caught anything. He's like, hey, put your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, imagine if you're a fisher guy, you're like, okay, dropping it from this side of the boat to this side is not going to do anything. It doesn't make a big difference. But they do it, and this miracle happens, and they realize, one of the disciples says, it's the Lord. And Peter, in that moment, totally different reaction. Instead of falling and saying, depart from me, he goes after Jesus. You know what Scripture says? It says he takes off his work clothes because he's been fishing. He's like in his BVDs. He jumps into the water and swims to Jesus in his underwear, all right? That's how comfortable he was with Jesus and how he wanted to just go after him. Now, listen, I'm comfortable with you guys. I love being up here and just digging into God's Word together but I will never be in my underwear. I'm never that comfortable, all right? And you're like, amen to that. But he was comfortable to go after Jesus. And then you see this incredible moment where Jesus has prepared a fire and some fish. They're eating breakfast. And then he restores Peter. He says, hey, do you love me? You know, go feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He does this three times, this beautiful moment of recognition. And Peter knew who God, who Jesus was. And I really do think that's, a, that's why you see at Pentecost he preaches and 3,000 people come to know him. He recognized who Jesus was. And so if you have an obedience problem this morning, you have a recognition problem. You don't see Jesus for who he is. You undermine Jesus as being the Son of God. So that's the first thing, to, to know and to follow Jesus. We need to know who Jesus is. The second thing that we see from this passage is that we need to embrace his mission. And to follow Jesus, we embrace his mission over our mission. We see that Jesus says, you follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Very popular. If you've been in church, you probably have heard this passage all the time. Man, our mission is to reach people. He says to go catch men. Now that might sound like a cheesy analogy, but he's ultimately saying, I want you to go impact the lives of people. I want you to love your neighbor, your family, your friends, your coworkers so much so that you impact their lives for for my sake, for the kingdom's sake. Now think about this. Let this be a staggering thing. Did you know there are more Southern Baptist churches in America than there are Starbucks, Subways, and McDonald's combined? Think about that. I feel like there's a Starbucks like on every corner, right? But we could say that, especially in in the Bible Belt of the South. Now, here's what is humbling to me, scary at the same time, and breaks my heart. Many of the churches, Southern Baptist churches, have zero participation in the Great Commission. They, they haven't baptized anybody in years. They haven't even turned on the water. They don't even know if their baptismal works. And what's really, really sad is that, you know, I have family that's in ministry, friends that are in ministry, 
And I think we take it for granted how healthy of a church, Upstate Church, First Baptist Simpsonville is at all of our campuses. But there are churches all across America that are more concerned about preserving the inside, what's inside the walls of their church than they are about reaching what's outside the walls. So what ends up happening, and you and I both know it, okay, I'm just saying it, <laughs> is that what ends up happening is you have dying churches that are filled with grumpy people that do not care about what's happening on the outside. They just care about what's happening on the inside. And what will happen if we are not careful is that churches like that end up turning into a museum of what was. I've met people, man, we used to have so many children back in there, and it's almost like a time capsule. You're like, wow. When was the last time you had kids in here? 1999. You're like, wow. And it becomes a museum. Instead of really a hospital of broken people, hurting people to come and to find Jesus. And I, I even would go to say that I feel like there are people who claim Christianity who would legitimately say, legitimately say we are Christians that I would almost say are anti-Great Commission. Meaning, I don't care. They're apathetic to people who have sinned, don't know Jesus. But also in a weird kind of way, like, believe they're doing right, but, at the, but are doing more harm than good for the church. So they end up making comments on Facebook or saying things out in the public that I'm like, uh, that shouldn't be said in the name of Jesus. You call yourself a Christian. That is not how it goes. And, and so we have to be very careful because as followers of Jesus, it's not about our preferences. It's not about me being happy in our attitude. It is about people coming to know Jesus. And so if that's the case, we have to ask ourselves every day, is, is my, are my actions and are my words uplifting where someone would say, I want to follow Jesus? Or are they just putting people down and saying stupid negative things that hurt the church more than they do to uplift the name of Jesus? And so we have to embrace his mission in this. Jesus intends for you to impact eternity. You're like, how do I do that? You know, like, I don't know, I don't know how to reach my neighbor. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have biblical training. You don't have to be a biblical counselor and be certified in all these different things. Man, you just need to share your story and love people well and just point them to Jesus. And really what Jesus wants is just obedient people that say, I'll do it. I'll, I'll just follow Jesus. I mean, we say that, I mean, that's what Scripture is all about, people who are unqualified being used by God to do amazing movements of God. And so if there's any hope for people like you and me, it's Scripture. We see Jesus uses knuckleheads like us who don't have it all together, who are struggling through life, who don't know everything about the Bible, and he wants to use us to impact eternity. That's why he went after fishermen like this. They had a willingness to drop everything and follow him. That's my final point. And the third, to follow Jesus, not only do we need to recognize him as Jesus and embrace his mission, but we need to leave everything behind. Now, you might be like, uh-oh, this is the scary part. Let's be honest. This is a scary part. Jesus isn't saying here, okay, he's not asking you to leave your wife, drop your kids off at Nana's house, which that would be nice too, and move to the Philippines and live there and not tell anybody that you're leaving and you just left everything behind. You sold your car, you know, your house, all that kind of stuff. Now, he might be calling some of you to the foreign mission field. I don't want to downplay that. Man, God's using that just a, a few months ago. A couple from our Harrison Bridge campus, they're going out on the mission field. 
And God can use you to do that, whether it's internationally or nationally. But really, in this moment, what we see and what we see for the everyday follower of Jesus is saying, leave the things that are distracting you from really following God. You need to drop those things. They're getting in the way. You're making minor things, major things, and they're getting in the way of following Jesus. When, well, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to get myself in trouble, okay? But we start putting these things in place and we start to worship the things of God instead of God himself or even things that aren't of God. We put those things as priority in our life and say they have to be this way instead of following God for who he is. And so we see in this moment that Jesus tells this to the people, hey, don't be afraid. Here's the mission. We're going to catch men. And what does verse 11 say? They had, uh, when they brought, once they brought the boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. In Matthew 16, we see Jesus tell the disciples, if anyone is to come after me, if anybody wants to follow me, anybody wants to be a disciple, if anybody's going to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. That means sacrifice your preferences and your purposes and your nice little plan that you have all put together. Just follow me. And think about this, to take up your cross, what does that mean? That means there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be some things that don't go according to your plan. But Jesus just says, follow me. And the truth is, we all, you and me, we all have a tendency to hold on to things that are temporal, that are temporary, right? We hold on to those things, and they keep us from experiencing the eternal. These things that are even good things, we hold on to so tightly that we miss out on what God wants to do and how he wants to use us to impact eternity. The things that God wants to show us, our neighbor who wants and needs to come to know Christ, God wants to use you, but we're so in our comfort zone that we miss out on those opportunities. So here's my invitation to you this morning. Just as Jesus told the disciples, I really do feel like Jesus is telling each of, each of us to do this every day. Drop the nets. Drop the things that are a distraction for you and me and just obey. I don't understand it, God. Peter's like, man, we've been out there all night and haven't caught anything. But at your word, Lord, I'll go. I'll go and do that. And I honestly believe that this morning, man, you know and God knows. He's been stirring in your heart through this. You need to follow him. You need to take a step to follow him. Maybe that's salvation. Maybe that is, hey, I, I believe in Jesus and I've been in church, but man, I don't have a relationship with him. There's never been a point in time where I've like actually dropped my nets and just surrendered to Jesus. And today is that day for you. Maybe it's a step of obedience and baptism. Maybe it's, hey, I need to serve or I need to begin giving. Those are all spiritual disciplines of what God does. And so maybe as the, as the band is going to close in this last song, you want to use up here just as an altar to kind of bring and kind of just give those things to God that are distracting you from truly following him. Maybe you want to talk to me. I'll be down here. I'm not going to do anything embarrassing. And you say, I, I need Jesus or I need to take that step of obedience. I'm ready to put those nets down. Think about this. Some of those nets might be past hurt. They might be busyness. They might be all these preconceived notions of what it means to follow Jesus that are false. It might be a past failure that you're like, man, there's no way that Jesus can forgive a guy like me. It might be an addiction 
that's just always popping up its ugly head. It might be a sin that just continues to, you struggle with in those things in, the, in life and those things are getting in the way and Jesus just says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. Let's pray together. Follow uh, God, we are so thankful to follow you, to have this invitation to drop our nets, to leave everything and just follow, follow, follow. And God, we overcomplicate the process so often. We take our eyes off of your mission and the truth, make it about ourselves. But Father, let it be inside of us, this ingrained sense of following you that we're so passionate about. That takes great sacrifice and surrender, just humility to say, you know what, I don't have it all together. And that each and every day, as we attempt to follow you, God, let us recognize who you are, how big you are, how your mercy and grace is something that we don't deserve. Let us embrace your mission over our plans and let us leave everything behind, those things that get in the way. Let you be the priority of our life. And so I pray right now in this moment with great boldness, as you've been speaking to us this morning through your word, that God, we would be like those fishermen and we would drop the nets. And for the person that's here that just needs you, they need to walk and start a relationship with you. God, I pray that they speak to someone this, this morning, someone who needs to take a step in baptism. God, today is that day. Give them great boldness and strength and courage to obey. And God, for anyone that just needs to come up here and just leave it at your feet, things that have been distracting, let this be an incredible time of response. And as we sing this closing song, thank you for the blood. God, the reason that we can come to you is because of the blood that was shed by your son, Jesus. So let us worship, not just with our words, but with the condition of our heart this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and close and worship together.